Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hi everyone, it's Adam here from DNF1. Just before we begin the podcast, I wanted to quickly share with you some exciting news. For this month, the DNF1 podcast is proudly sponsored by Manscaped. For the entire month of March, you can get hold of some great Manscaped products like this and plenty more other great products on their website for 20% off and free shipping. Oh my God! Wow! All you have to do is head over to manscaped.com and use our promo code DNF1 to receive 20% off your order and also free shipping too. We loved using Manscaped products and we know that you will too. So make sure to get yours now. Trust us, your balls will thank you. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all the latest news, gossip and events in the world of Formula One and we relay that back to you for your listening and viewing pleasure, depending on what platform you choose to follow us on. And of course, it is the review of the first race of the season. The Bahrain Grand Prix has just finished, literally about half an hour ago from the time that we are recording this. And I tell you what, my co-host and I, Mr. Courtney Pine, sitting here with me. I am absolutely exhausted by that finale. What a great curtain raiser for the Formula One season, which ended in somewhat typical fashion with Lewis Hamilton winning the Grand Prix. But it was by no means as straightforward as Lewis has probably had it at all in the last seven years. Courtney, if you could sum up that finale in a way, as a Mercedes fan, of course, how must you be feeling right now after that epic finish? I want to know where the Lewis Hamilton only wins because he's in the fastest car brigade. Like, where are you? Like, please get into the comments. I want to know because he's just won a Grand Prix that he had no right to win. Red Bull have clearly got the fastest car at this point. Max Verstappen is clearly supremely talented. With that combination, you know, is that there was a couple of moments which I'm sure we'll be debating. But at the same time, overall, Lewis pulled every single ounce out of that car that he possibly could. And still went on to win another Grand Prix. And this is another example why the guy needs to be getting more credit from the general fan base. Because I don't think he gets enough. And today's been another example why I feel he deserves it. No, it's absolutely incredible. Um, we'll obviously get into the details of how Sir Lewis Hamilton managed to make it 96 Grand Prix wins and notching up the first win of the season for 2021 in such dramatic fashion. Um, of course, guys, uh, as always, in the month of March, we are being sponsored by Manscaped. Uh, use the code DNF1 to get 20% off and free shipping off your order on manscaped.com. Bear in mind that this offer is only for March. So you have a few days left as of when this episode airs. So make sure to get on there now so you do not miss out on the great promotion on so many great products on their website. So definitely check them out and use our code DNF1. Now, Courtney, I'm going to take you back to where we were on Friday 
or Saturday, I should say. And obviously after testing, after all the analysis, all of the numbers that anybody that knows anything about Formula One or even cares to actually try and figure out what the pecking order was, would have tried to figure out who was at the front. And the general consensus was that Red Bull were the team to beat. And of course, by the time we got to qualifying in spectacular fashion, Max Verstappen proved and laid down the gauntlet, the first of many this season, that he looked to be the man with the machinery that had the world championship in his sights this season. The first, hopefully, of many for Max, but of course, the hardest often is the first one. And if today was an indicator, it certainly will be. But looking at qualifying, Max absolutely nailed it. It was incredibly fast all the way through. There did seem to be some signs that Mercedes were definitely a lot quicker than they showed in testing, and they really showed their true pace. They were definitely up there. But of course, Max Verstappen pulling out an incredible lap in Q3 to go four temps clear of Lewis Hamilton, which which set up an incredible race, Courtney. I mean, at the start of the Grand Prix, loads of buzz in the air, loads of excitement from the fans, all of the teams starting to understand where they were in the pecking order for the race ahead. And of course, the normal business of an F1 season resumes as we got underway. What do you feel were the thoughts of Mercedes and Red Bull respectively with that front three of Verstappen, Hamilton and Bottas in that order, did you feel that this race could go either way or did you feel it was Red Bull's race to lose? I think Red Bull were probably deep down pretty confident they were going to win. I mean, if you if you have that kind of gap in qualifying, it does generally give you a little bit of a gap in a race. Usually it does get closer, but a four-tenth four of, you know, of a second gap, yeah, you know, that's that's usually enough. But, I think Mercedes, again, I think they sort of carried on with the rhetoric that they did in pre-season. You know, they like to play the underdog. Um, but in the early stages of the race, it seemed pretty even. You know, and uh, it, the, the race only started to really unfold after the first, well, after the first pit stop, really. Hmm. But it was, it, I think this was, a, that, that first stint probably summed up where we should expect Red Bull Mercedes to be throughout the season. Yeah, I think one thing we should mention, um, obviously we'll get to the first pit stop and obviously the strategy call that Mercedes made to really force everyone else's hand uh, was that it seemed that Red Bull may have felt, and perhaps a lot of us probably felt, that judging by the race pace that Verstappen had shown in testing, that he was going to drive away in the way that mm. Lewis Hamilton was probably introduced. Yeah, absolutely. But that never really happened. Lewis was within a few seconds of Max. He had that sort of magic two seconds that he stayed within Max Verstappen um, so to allow would allow him to, you know, use the undercut strategy to try and get ahead of him after the first pit stops. Valsky Bottas wasn't really able to keep up with the guys in front. And, you know, he sort of fell away a little bit. He was having a bit of a battle with Leclerc and Norris early on because obviously he had a bit of a poor getaway, which allowed uh, Charles Leclerc to really get ahead of him and really caused them some troubles for a while. But, you know, that that's that was good news for Mercedes. I think they were a bit worried that Red Bull's qualifying pace, um, whether or not it was inflated by performance of Max Verstappen respectively, we'd like to think that because of how good Lewis is, that perhaps that was more accurate um, and that both drivers got the most out of their cars. But the race pace from Mercedes seemed quite there. So whilst they may not have had the ultimate speed Red Bull had, they certainly had a pretty solid car underneath them, enough so that they could really force something with a strategy to get the race result at the end. But going to an early point in this race, the first incident that happened in the race, the first retirement of the season, and 
I don't think many people probably would have been surprised, but it was Nikita Mazepin after three corners, losing the rear end of the car and going straight into the wall. Um, a lot of the following on Twitter, given the recent events that we've seen from Nikita Mazepin over the winter break, were probably um, enjoying that a little more than they should have been. But I suppose the good news is that this time, after a hus going into the wall, the driver was okay, first and foremost, which is the most important thing, and there weren't any issues like yeah. what we saw with Roman Grosjean. Yeah, I'd like to... Uh... Just like to say, um, yeah, I'm not, I've, I've made it clear I'm not particularly keen on the guy. I'm not particularly keen on how the team are uh, conducting themselves at the moment. But I wasn't quick to laugh because I saw Hass go off and I had an idea it'd be him. But I chose not to laugh because I thought if that, if that car goes up in flames and he gets injured, I'm going to feel so shit about myself. So mm. I've sort of reserved my feeling about it until I knew he was safe because it's really important that you do that because you could, you, like, particularly social media, you could you could be putting stuff out like going, ha, 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 shame on him. And then you find that gets hurt. How are you going to feel after? You know, because it's so easy to get carried away with your emotions, isn't it? It I is. I think sometimes yeah. when you're watching live sport, put your phone to one side sometimes because it could, you know, you could find, you could find like yourself getting in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not guilty of this, but I was sort of somewhat live blogging the race. And... Uh, on the DNF1 Twitter page. For those of you that don't follow it, DNF1 underscore official, make sure to get following us on Twitter and Instagram, of course. Um, I basically, as soon as I found out Nikita was okay, first thing I've done is Mazepin crashes out and then put the picture of the meme with Jeremy Clarkson on top gear. He goes, oh, anyway. And then just, and then it goes on <laughs> that one. You're always going to make sure the driver's okay first. Once he's okay, mm-hmm. then you can make jokes. And that, that's, you know, thankfully he was okay. So I was able to do that. I literally had that ready because for some reason I thought, Nikita's going to be the first one to retire or make a mistake because he's had some issues really getting up to speed with the Huss. And he had that spinning qualifying in Q1 yesterday, which really ruined a lot of laps for a few drivers. One in particular was Seb Vedder, and we'll talk about his race a bit later on. So Huss, uh, there's not much to say on their performance. I think we'll get this one out of the way. No. Nick Schumacher finished 16th today. He had a bit of a moment on the first lap. Um Oh, sorry, that's not the first lap. When the safety car came in on lap three, I believe it was, he had a bit of a moment, but he was able to complete his first race, something his father, Michael Schumacher, didn't actually do after retiring from the 91 Belgian Grand Prix with a broken clutch after about a few corners. I think he retired at the top of Radion. So, you know, well done, Mick. Great job. And I think 16th is probably going to be one of the better results that Haas will see all season long. So, you know, great job from him all round today. Wouldn't have been an easy race, more like a Sunday drive, but certainly did a good job. He's going to have a lot of those this season, I feel. Absolutely. But getting back to the race itself, uh, let's go further on. Of course, Red Bull, Mercedes, the battle between Lewis and Max, really staying tight within each other. Um, A two-second gap they were maintaining. But then, of course, that moment where Mercedes uh, shot early, they went for the undercut earlier than they would have expected. The two-stop strategy wasn't really suggesting that the medium tyre runners were going to pit as early as they did. But Lewis did, went on to the harder tyres. And interestingly enough, Red Bull decided not to react. They felt that Max needed to go a bit longer, stick to their own strategy rather than react to it, purely and simply because they felt that by the time Mercedes had triggered that undercut, it was already too late. What were your thoughts on that? Do you feel Red Bull had at least one lap they could have put for stepping in straight away to cover Lewis off? Or do you feel that Mercedes had played that strategy call Absolutely spot on. Well, I think it was again, it was another indication that Red Bull were confident in what they could do, and rightly so. They seemed fairly comfortable. But then at the same time, Mercedes did keep them honest. But then I think the fact that Lewis came out and he probably done better than expected, 
you know, because he was putting in some very good laps when he came out on the hard tyre. And I suppose Red Bull thought, look, if we pit Max now, we're going to be stuck behind him. So I think they had to try something different. Maybe it was their plan A. But I think naturally, when you're in a close race with somebody, you sort of react to what they do. Mm. But yeah, they saw what the times that Lewis done, so they had to stick to keeping him um, out. And at that point, I thought it was going to work out for them. Yeah, it seemed it too at the time, because it was almost a case of, well, Mercedes have kind of forced Red Bull's hand here. Red Bull have decided not to follow suit. I personally believe, I think they would have had a lap to react. I think Max had enough of a gap where if they would have got a pit stop, which Red Bull were legendary for, um, the sub two second stop, it might have been enough to keep Max out just ahead of Lewis to cover off that undercut. But the undercut proved to be very, very powerful at this race. It often is in Bahrain. It can be worth up to a couple of seconds at the best of times. And that could have been the difference in their mind between winning this race and not. It, it was good to see that Mercedes were able to be that close to Red Bull to really put them in that position. And that's a good trend for the season if that continues. So it's not going to be a case of, um, you know, in, in terms of the second cars where Bottas was nowhere. Near, I mean, Bottas, for example, was about six or seven seconds behind these two. So he was never going to be able to influence or force a strategy in the way Mercedes would have hoped with their second car. Not to mention Red Bull weren't able to use their second car in Perez because he had those issues with the electronics by which, of course, they had to, Honda announced that they had to make changes to those before the race, similar to what they did Gasly the day before as a precaution. And the engine cut out on him almost. So he was very lucky to continue, but I had to start from the pits. So Red Bull, once again, despite having a much more accomplished driver in Perez, and of course we'll get into his race a bit later on as to why I feel that they will have that for the rest of the season, they weren't able to use that rear gunner that they've been desperately waiting for in the fight with Mercedes. And whilst Mercedes couldn't really use theirs, Red Bull didn't have one of their own, which may have been the difference today. Don't you think like what happened with um, Perez and Gasly? Don't you think that could be a, that must be a massive worry for Red Bull deep down? Because mm. you know we've already stated this, we've already stated this in a couple of episodes before the season started. The fact that Honda have made such a big step forward in terms of their um, their performance, usually you're putting reliability at risk. And there's already been a couple of gremlins, and this is the first race. I don't know. I don't want to jinx anything, but. I've got a strong feeling that in a season that's as close as this is likely to be, I think the reliability of this Honda engine could define the winner of this championship. And in a way, that could be such a bad thing for Red Bull and Honda, especially in Honda's last official season in F1, if that was to be the sole reason as to why they do not win either championship this season. Um, Honda, as we've already spoken to uh, about in previous episodes, have fast-tracked this 2021 engine from 2022. They obviously made the decision that they were not going to be competing with Mercedes with that engine so they had to move a 2022 engine forward and as you said Courtney when you introduce so many new components to an engine in this way it increases the probability and the risk of failures occurring and whilst Red Bull and Honda were practically bulletproof through testing and practice and almost up to the race itself it always seems like a good sign but the worst time that problems can occur is during the race because that's when you can't recover from them. I remember listening to the races, uh, bring back the V10s podcast, they have a series, which is, I suppose, an inspiration of our retro podcast series to some degree. It's the same sort of format. Um, definitely check it out, guys. You're having really, really good, insightful stuff. But they spoke to one of the McLaren engineers 
um, when they did an episode on the 2005 Japanese Grand Prix where Kimi won from the back of the field. And Kimi Raikkonen that season had a lot of issues with reliability. I think he had like four engine failures all happening mm. in practice. And Fernando Alonso said McLaren are very lucky in that regard because in practice, when you have those issues, you can recover. But if they happen in the race, that's it, race over. You've lost your opportunity to score points. So, you know, coming back to Red Bull in that regard, if those issues occur, it's a bit different now because using different paths and they will tow up will cost penalties on the grid, which in this case can be the difference between winning and losing races, even more so if they happen in the race themselves and it costs them. So it's something Red Bull are going to have to be wary of as well as Honda. Alfa Tauri, of course, will be no exception because Pierre Gazzi had his issues and could have been a factor in his race today. But of course, he had some other issues that didn't go his way, of course, with that incident on lap one where he clipped Lando Norris's rear tyre and it caused him to lose his front wing, which was all on Pierre Gasly. But I think Alpha Tauri will be disappointed knowing that they could have done a lot more today. Mm. Um, they scored points in Yuki Tsunoda and he had an incredible drive today despite what happened with him. But, yeah. I think with Tsunoda, I think, you know, for those that do watch him during his F2 days, I certainly do believe that this is a driver to watch. You know, the score points in your first race, you know, he was making overtakes in, you know, some pretty gutsy overtakes, may I add, as well. You know, mm. I think they might have themselves a very solid driver there, which will spice up the Red, the Red Bull Junior programme because he could be a potential partner to Max Verstappen very soon. And if he carries on the way he's going, he could be an exceptional driver, which could make it spicy for future championships. Mm, absolutely. And I think Red Bull need that because their young driver academy, whilst it's got the likes of Jehan Deruvela, Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson, who all in F2, Liam Lawson, of course, winning one of the sprint races at Bahrain. Great job from him. Um, it does make you wonder where the next star is going to come from. And, I, and when I say that, I, I mean that with the utmost respect to the three drivers I've just mentioned, but no one was raving about them in the way that Pierre Gasly was or Suzuki Sonoda was, or even, or especially Max Verstappen, who made the jump from Formula 3 into Formula 1, you know, completely skipping F2 altogether. So, you know, that, that's the paradox Red Bull find themselves in in that regard. But getting back to the race, of course, the second stint happening and... Mercedes, by virtue of bringing in Lewis a bit early for that undercut, they were able to get Lewis out in front. But it was far from smooth sailing because as the stint progressed on Courtney, Lewis was complaining about issues where the tyres weren't really going. And it wasn't the usual Lewis complaining on the radio about his tyres that we always joke about or make memes about saying that the tyres aren't as bad as Lewis says. It's all mind games. But it seemed like Mercedes were really, really pushing in this middle stint. And for whatever reason, they just couldn't keep the tyres working. They couldn't look after the harder tyres. And there were fears that they may have to revert to a three-stop strategy um, in this race rather than go for the normal faster two-stop, which Red Bull was certainly going for. Yeah, at that point, it looked like the pendulum had swung into Red Bull's favour because during the first stint, as we've already stated, it, it seemed pretty even. You know, I thought, you know, Lewis's talent, or maybe I'm biased as a fan, I thought that at this point, if Lewis stays on Max's tail, I reckon he could eventually overtake him, like he did in Hungary a couple of seasons ago. But it swung. It just seemed that the performance benefit that Red Bull had became apparent by that point where Max easily overtook Lewis. Mm. And I think Mercedes were starting to get increasingly worried that as Max Verstappen was eking away at Lewis's lead, by which time it was around about, I think it was about eight and a half to nine seconds after the pit mm. stops were made. That's how much an advantage Lewis had. And Max was eking away at that gap. 
getting to a point was about two or three seconds behind Lewis, and it kind of stayed yeah. that way for a little while, and then it started to go down again. And yeah, then, sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. because I said you overtook him, but he, Max basically, if Lewis had stayed out for a couple more laps, Max would have overtaken him, and I think that's when Mercedes thought, sod this, we're going to get in, because at this point we're going to lose the racks. I think that's what they were worried about. In my mind, when the, when the race was progressing on and Mercedes had made that call, Lewis was on the radio saying, I think I could have gone a bit longer on this stint. And it was quite a short stint on the harder tyres. I think they did about 16, 17 laps, um, yeah. meaning that they were going to have to do about 26, 27 laps to go to the end. So that was the worry for Mercedes thinking, well, if they can't do that many laps on the harder tyre, is Lewis going to have to stop again? Mercedes said on the radio to Lewis that they wanted to cover off the undercut from Verstappen. I mean, I could see why they went with that. I was kind of the opinion that if Red Bull were going to do that, they would have to pit Max around about 16 laps to the end on the tail of Lewis and put on a set of softs on, by which time Mercedes would have probably pit Lewis anyway because he'd been on the track a few laps longer despite having a higher compound of tyre. Let's not forget Max was on the medium compound where Lewis was on the harder one. So I can understand why they did that and they probably felt the way the tyres were wearing out that the delta would kind of even out by the time Max had caught up to Lewis so they were probably protecting themselves. I suppose... Given that Max has stayed out quite a bit longer, he went a bit longer again on this stint. He ended up um, being out 10 laps longer than Lewis on the middle stint. So given the way the race transpired, Courtney, would you say that perhaps Red Bull could have pit Max a bit earlier so that he was closer to Lewis Hamilton? Or did you feel that at this point, Red Bull were sort of playing the right game and sticking to the strategy they were on? Well, hindsight is a powerful thing. And I think, yeah, if they'd pitted him earlier, they'd they probably have had a much better chance, a much better chance to have won the race. But at that point, like, yeah, Lewis was still a few seconds ahead when Max Verstappen came out. But at that point, I, I, I personally thought it was a, a foregone conclusion. I thought that Max was just going to like breeze past Lewis. Um, but it didn't turn out to be that way. No, absolutely. And I think the one thing Mercedes were able to give Lewis Hamilton in that race that could prove could have proven to be the definitive factor was that Max Verstappen was going to have to overtake Lewis to win the Grand Prix. You know, that they kind of mitigated the pole position altogether and gave Lewis the track position and say, right, if Max is going to beat you, Lewis, he's got to overtake you. You know, Red Bull can't do anything to give him uh, that advantage that we've given you. And, and that can be the difference. And it has proven to be today. But in so many races in this modern era of Formula One, where it's so much harder to overtake than it used to be, it's never a foregone conclusion, even with factors like DRS. And DRS on this track was very powerful, as we'll get into with some of the other races going on. But in the final stint, both guys were on the harder tyres. Max pitted 10 laps after Lewis Hamilton. Surprising it was for another set of hards. I thought Red Bull might have had a medium or a soft set available. Clearly they didn't. Or they didn't feel that Max was going to be able to chase Lewis down because Perez obviously put on a set of mediums to go about 16 laps towards the end. So... He had that. I don't know if Red Bull had a medium set available for Max. I'd have to try and find out and let you know um, off the record later on. But um, as I said, the final stint was coming in. Bottas was kind of in a race of his own today, and he was about a few seconds off. He was catching Max and Lewis towards the end of his stint, but by the time he pitted, Mercedes had that issue once again at Bahrain with the right front tyre. It just never was able to come off properly. The Jackman dropped the car. He had to lift it up again. You had Ted Kravitz on the right, on the uh, pit chat going, you know, get the car up, get the car up. 
and eventually they got the tire off, but they lost about 10 seconds in the pits, which completely took Valtteri out of the race to a point where his race kind of had an added bonus where he could have that pit stop put on a set of, uh, I think it was medium tires available to him or something like that, and then go out and do the fastest lap at the end of race, which I think he did. Actually, I'm just going to check because I did take a picture. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. He did get the fastest lap. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so there was an added bonus for Mercedes and Valtteri Bottas in that as well. But it was a straight fight, Max versus Lewis. Lewis having a similar advantage in the last stint as he did in the first one where Max had to close him down. And with about 16 laps to go, it just seemed that Max was going to be able to eke away at Lewis's lead. He was catching him almost a second lap and you just felt Max will have Lewis right in front of him with about five or six laps to go. At some point in that stint though, Courtney, Max wasn't really gaining on Lewis as quickly. Did you feel that Max had taken too much out of the ties early on? Do you feel like he was trying to nurse them to a point where when he catches Lewis, he will have enough tie life left to really get after him? Because Lewis was in uber conservation mode, but at the same time trying to go as quick as he possibly could. I think a factor that kind of went unnoticed during the race itself was Lewis seemed to have a lot more joy getting past the back markers, you know, when there's overlapping certain cars. I think there was, you know, there's a certain point where there was a squabble just in front of Max. And I think that slowed him down a little bit. And, you know, those kind of, those small moments make a difference. And it's these moments that define the talent in the driver. You know, Lewis is a seven-time world champion for a reason. You know, going back to the point I made at the very start, it isn't just down to the fact that he has the fastest, the fastest car. That experience, you know, that to know to have the perfect timing to overtake back markers. And let's not forget, Max Verstappen has a little bit of history of um, struggling with back markers. You know, we saw it with Bocon a few seasons ago. And it's just that just that side of Max where we we'll say immaturity, he can get like a little bit hot-headed, you know, lack of experience in, in comparison to Lewis. It's those little, those little things that you need to fine-tune if he wants to beat Lewis over the course of a season. Yeah, I mean, I think we have to give Lewis credit in this because it's very easy to look at Max Verstappen's ability. And we all know that this kid is an incredibly special talent. You know, the hallmarks are there, similar to Hamilton himself, to Senna, to Schumacher, to Prost, all of the greats in Formula One. Absolutely, yeah. Max is definitely of that calibre, no doubt about it. But it's also fair to say that we've got to look at Lewis Hamilton as the complete finished article in some ways, in some people's minds, the greatest of all time and still operating at, if not his absolute peak, still around 95 to 9 to 100% of where Lewis's ultimate peak performance is, which is an incredibly high level that only few drivers like Max Verstappen can live with on their best days. So you have to take that into consideration. And I think we saw elements of that ability that Lewis Hamilton has today in the way that he won the Grand Prix, um, by which not a lot of people, myself included, felt he was going to be able to do today, even in that final stages. And so, you know, that, that incident you mentioned, of course, was um, Ocon and Vettel battling, I believe it was, for 13th position, which ultimately ended with Vettel locking his brakes, trying to tuck in behind Ocon. And... I mean, we'll get into this one briefly before we come to the finale of the race, but it was a silly move from Vettel. Um, I, I can't really defend him on this one. He said that Ocon changed direction. I can see what he meant a little bit, but it was so subtle that perhaps you had to kind of be there to notice that change, whereas on the TV, you probably didn't see it as well. But Courtney, a four-time world champion with as much experience as Sebastian Vettel, will know in these cars more than anything else that 
when you're under braking at high speeds into a corner as slow as turn one at Bahrain, you do not want to go from clean air to tucking behind the dirty air of the car in front of you under braking because you lose so much downforce and front end grip. You're going to do what Seb did, lock his brakes and drive into the back of someone. And it's not the first time Seb has done that. Remember Silverstone? where Vettel drove into the back of Max Verstappen at Club Corner a few years ago. Same sort of incident. Tucked in behind the guy in front of him, lost all that front-end downforce and just drives into the back of him. There's nothing you can do. Silly move from Seb. But as you said, Courtney, them two squabbling was really a factor in Max trying to catch Lewis quicker than he probably would have... Well, not as quick as he would have liked. Yeah, I mean, with going back to Seb quickly, you know, I'm kind of hoping that was a one-off because it was... That kind of clumsiness was the Sebastian Vettel that we saw, you know, in his last couple of seasons with Ferrari. And I'm really hoping he turns this around at Aston Martin. I'm just hoping it's just Gremlins, his first race, has a couple of clean races and gets himself back to that standard that we know that he can be. But that was, that gave me hallmarks of the Sebastian Vettel we've been seeing recently. Um, but yeah, going back to the race itself, it certainly made a difference, um, you know, considering that, you know, Lewis is only one by what must have been about a tenth or so. Literally, those small margins yeah. make, yeah, that's what I mean. So those those moments make a difference. But then obviously, there's a couple more uh, moments that we're about to discuss that were the pinnacle was the pinnacle of the race. Yeah, so let's fast forward to the point where we get to the battle because, of course, it was a bit of a worry that Max was not catching Lewis as quick as he mm. should have done or we were expecting. But by the time he got to Lewis, it was a couple of laps left in the race. And, of course, Lewis had that off on the exit of turn nine, uh, went quite wide, and it seemed like Lewis's tyres were completely gone. I mean, we joke about Lewis saying on the radio, but they looked like they were going. And it looked to be almost a matter of time before Max Verstappen was going to catch him and pass him. Then they went down the run down to turn one, on the following lap, Max had the DRS, was on the outside of Lewis Hamilton into turn one, reminiscent of the battle Hamilton had with Rosberg in 2014, the duel in the desert that we still rave on about now. It was that good. Similar hallmarks to this one. Lewis holding onto the inside. They had the run all the way down to turn four. Again, we thought Max might go around the outside, as we'd seen Sergio Perez do a lot today around the outside of turn four, made that move his own. Max did try, did get a little bit ahead of Lewis, but of course, so close together, ended up going a bit wide off the track, of course, you know, breaching track limits to complete that overtake. And before we get into the ins and outs, Courtney, I, I think we can both agree that that move was completed off the track. It wasn't on the track. You yeah. know, the, the track limits, people often confuse with the curbing. Um, and I think I think one thing we should clarify is that with the FIA they did, or the stewards, they did say that the curbs would be the limits for qualifying and practice and just general racecraft. But when it comes to overtaking cars, you have to stay within the white lines, which is inside the curbs. So even if Max had kept his car uh, or a wheel on the curbs, he probably would have still have to give that place back to Lewis Hamilton. I think the, well, the main debate that's probably happening in the uh, Red Bull garage um, would be because the, they were very quick to give the, the place back to Lewis because they didn't want to get a penalty. But yeah. usually the penalty they get for an infringement like that is five seconds. And Max was arguing that if he went, yeah, if he if he got ahead of Lewis with like several laps ago, he, he was confident he could have pulled out a gap greater than five seconds. So that could be another factor that Red Bull looked back with, with a lot of, um, well, yeah, regret really. Absolutely. I mean, before we discuss that a little bit, um, what did you think of that incident with Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton? Did you feel that... 
where Lewis's car was and the fact that Lewis was going a bit wide into the corner. I, I don't believe Lewis was forcing Max off. I think it was just using no. the road. It was similar to what Charles Leclerc and Lando Norris were doing earlier in the race, but different in the fact that the tyres were very old late in the race and everything else. Did you feel that if Max Verstappen had helped kept that place, do you think he would have had a case to argue to the stewards and that there was nowhere else for him to go and that um, he just kept his foot planted? Or do you feel that they said, well, you completed that move off the road? It was Lewis's, you weren't far enough ahead of Lewis to warrant that being your corner? Yeah, I don't think the legality of the of the incident itself is debatable, really. I think they both knew deep down what the truth was in that because, you know, Red Bull made the decision fairly quickly. Mm. The issue was the reaction to it. The debate was, should he have stayed out and, you know, got that five-second lead? And, you know, again, hindsight is a powerful thing, but I, I, I do believe that Max Stappen would have won that race by more than five seconds. So I think that decision probably did cost him the race. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw that incident and saw Max let Lewis go through, the first thing in my head was, I wouldn't, if that was me, Max Verstappen, I would not have done what Max did. And I don't think Max would have really done what he did if it was up to him. I think the only reason why he did it was, as we already said, or as you said, Courtney, was that he got the call on the radio from his engineer to let Lewis through because the stewards had told Red Bull to give that position back to Lewis. Um, I mean, I don't know if Max would have pulled out five seconds. He claims he would have done. You know, it wasn't long left in the race to do that. And I'm pretty sure Mercedes would have told Lewis, look, just use all the performance you've got to stay within five seconds. Um, Similar in the way to what happened between him and Vettel in uh, 2019 in Canada, where he won that race. Um, Although that was a much more controversial decision from the stewards. Um, But in this one, it was a bit more cut and dry. I mean, if you're Max Verstappen, after the performance you've put in today, where he will feel in his mind that, other than perhaps one thing he did wrong today, he probably should have won this race. And perhaps Red Bull could have probably done a bit more for him to win this race today than they have done. Are there going to be doubts that may creep into his mind that as this season goes on, it's going to be those moments where his team are going to have to be so good, almost as good as he is behind the wheel in order to win this championship? Because we've already seen today that it's a judgment call that they've made, not just on strategy, but at that precise moment, which was different to what the driver wanted, which could have cost him the win today. What are your thoughts on that? So after the, after this very point, Red Bull had the advantage in terms of raw pace. Okay, we haven't gone to other circuits. Maybe this pace advantage was track specific. We won't really know until two or three races time. But in terms of a mental wedge, not only for Lewis in a driver's championship, but for Mercedes in a structures championship, their driver, Red Bull's driver and their strategists were both beaten. I just feel that Mercedes now have the initiative mentally. But yeah, Red Bull have the advantage when it comes to pace at this point. So I think Mercedes are definitely going to be leaving from this track a lot, lot happier because I don't think they expected they had a chance. I think after testing, I don't think they did feel like they had a chance. But with Mercedes, you know, we discussed this before we come on air. It just seems that Mercedes are learning a lot about this car fairly quickly. It just seemed that throughout the practice sessions, you know, they've done pretty well in qualifying, all things considered. And even throughout the race, they seem to be learning about this car. They seem to be getting faster and faster. It wouldn't surprise me if Mercedes have a lot of pace to unlock in this car. So looking back, if Mercedes do get this, um, if Mercedes do unlock more speed in this car, Red Bull could look back in this race with a lot of regret later on in the season. 
Similar to how Ferrari were a couple of years ago in 2018, where they had the advantage at, I'd say, probably 55% of the tracks that they went to. Mm. But how many of those did they take advantage on, especially in the latter half of the season, which they didn't really do at all after Germany 2018. It just fell apart for them. Um, Whereas Mercedes obviously were able to maximise their opportunities, made mistakes as little as possible and learned more about their car and were able to develop it over the course of the season. We know Red Bull can outdevelop Mercedes. They've been doing so for the last couple of years over the course of the season. But the fact that they are now in a position at the start to have an advantage They've got to try and see that through. This development war between both teams could be very interesting because both of them are going to get sucked into it, whether they like it or not, if they want to win this season. Because if they don't, the other one will, most likely, and that team will be the one that wins the title. So it's a mouthwatering prospect for all the other teams in 2022 that are worried that Red Bull and Mercedes will have an advantage next season. That is not going to be the case because they're going to be fighting each other. And as we've seen in previous seasons prior to a regulation change of this magnitude, that teams that do go to war like that very, very rarely start the next set of regulations on the front foot. Maybe different next season, but it certainly is a good prospect for the rest of the field. But let's come to the final part of the race, Courtney. Obviously, Max, maybe that was his last serious chance, but he had a few moments where he went a bit wide, particularly at turn 13, where the car was sliding. It looked like the tyres were starting to go. And... In his head, it looked like Lewis may have just got him on the day. Mm-hmm. And as Lewis went across the line to win that race in incredible fashion, a huge sigh of relief on the man's shoulders. Um, as best as you can, how significant could today be in the story of the season in terms of do you feel that this will be a blow to Red Bull in a, mentally where in Max Verstappen's mind that he feel that these are this is another opportunity that he should have won this race and it's gone begging or do you feel that Mercedes will feel that they've still got a lot more work to do to try and close this deficit as Red Bull may have a lot more better days ahead? I think I think Mercedes fans in general will probably feel a lot more optimistic about this championship than they did at the end of testing. Um, as I've already stated several times in this episode, I think Red Bull still have a pace advantage. I personally believe that with the tr- the way Imola is, you know, the next race, usually the race should be decided in theory on a Saturday because you, you, you can barely overtake there. And with the qualifying advantage Red Bull look like they have, they could, they could well bounce back straight away. But there are a couple of things that, you know, that we've spoken about that are important. So first of all, the mental initiative that Mercedes had because we saw it in the previous battles with um, Ferrari. If Mercedes don't have the fastest car, they will maximise what they can get with the package that they have. Now, I think Mercedes is more capable of doing that as a team than Red Bull are. And, you know, they might only seem like small gremlins when it comes to the, the performance, uh, the engine performance of uh, the reliability of the Hondas, you know, not only with Red Bull, but with Alpha Tauri. But I had this theory even in testing and I do feel that the mental initiative that Mercedes have and the reliability issues that this Honda engine could have, I, I, this is only one race. So anybody looking at this after race one, I think Mercedes should be a lot more optimistic about this championship than they were a few weeks ago. I think so too. And I think this is something that Mercedes really needed um, in their minds 
perhaps to sort of calm them down a bit and make them realise that it is still in their hands. It's not a foregone conclusion. We haven't seen a swing in performance suggesting that we're going to have one team dominating this championship, be the other one, um, which is fantastic. I think that's what the fans want. It was an incredible race. Yes, I understand some fans might not be happy that the Hamilton Verstappen Bottas podium for the 14th time in the turbo hybrid era that's now equaled Hamilton Rosberg Vettel um, for that many times. And I'm sure it will overtake that. But if we have 22 other races where we have similar podiums in the same fashion, I don't think the majority of us are going to be disappointed. Um, but before we get into some of the other races this weekend, just a shout out to say congratulations to Lewis Hamilton as well, who also broke another record. And there aren't really that many left that Lewis hasn't already broken. Certainly the eighth world championship that Lewis is going to be going for this season. And he's made the perfect start to it, but he has now overtaken Michael Schumacher once again, as being the driver that has led the most laps in formula one. It was 5,112 laps that Lewis Hamilton had led before he passed Michael Schumacher. So congratulations to him on that one as well. Um, Let's talk about Perez. Now that we start to wrap up some of the other races from today, very strange one from Perez. Had issues with the electronics on Saturday, obviously had to be replaced for the race. Then the engine cut out on him and then miraculously restarted, but of course had to basically start the race from the pit lane. Managed to get all the way up to P5 today, driving a very similar race to what he did in Sakir, just dicing his way through the field. Obviously he has probably the fastest car underneath him, which makes things a little bit easier, but Overall, despite those shortcomings and despite the issue he had at qualifying, how impressed were you with Sergio Perez today? Do you feel like that performance, which theoretically was probably one position worse than the ultimate perfect performance he probably could have got today? Um, I think Red Bull would be rather happy with that. What do you think about Perez? Yeah, you know, they should be, you know, because given what we saw with Gasly and Albon, I think they would have crumbled in that position. Yes, the Red Bull is, you know, faster in comparison than they were in those seasons. Um, it was definitely a solid performance. And Perez could be could be the factor that makes a difference when it comes to the Constructors' Championship. Because I I, I think that Perez could be a, a better team, well, a, a better performing teammate for Verstappen than Bottas will be for Lewis. So, if Mercedes and Red Bull are this close throughout the season, and if, effectively speaking, the Honda engine does behave, then Perez could be the difference in this Constructors' Championship. Yeah, no, I agree. I was very happy with Perez today. Um, do you think Perez drive the day? I probably would have given it to Lewis, based on the way yeah, this race goes, transpired. It goes, it goes to Lewis, and I know we're going to probably go back, but I think Lando Norris is up there for me as well. Yeah, and uh, absolutely. I mean... Before we get into McLaren's race, um, just a quick touch on qualifying Perez. Where did you see that incident with Perez where he failed to get into Q3, ended up 11th because he messed up his first lap on the medium tyres, went out again on the mediums um, because his lap was invalidated, went out again on the mediums, only six temps off the fastest time. But it was enough to relegate him outside the top 10. That's how close the pack is on ultimate pace. Mm. How did you see that? Do you feel that Red Bull were a bit over optimistic with Perez by sticking him on the mediums? Or do you feel that he was just a bit unlucky? I don't think anyone, they probably didn't expect the rest to be so quick. That's right. I think he was unlucky. It was a strange session, you know, a great session for the fans. But, you know, if you're a strategist, then that was very odd. You know, it was probably, it was, a very rare occasion that he got done by. You know, we've seen the best drivers get done by, particularly in wet sessions. 
Um, so, yeah, it's just fun of loads. You know, it's not an ideal way to start your career. But I think, you know, after the gremlins that he had, he's put in a good performance. And I think that'll give him the confidence that he needs going into the rest of the season. Absolutely. You know, he, he and he played to his strengths. He did a good job today, made some good overtakes, had a few good battles. But overall, managed the race very, very well and showed all the hallmarks that we've seen and know and love about Sergio Perez. So I think Red Bull will be very happy with his performance today. And hopefully reliability will be a lot better for him as the season goes on and the qualifying as we have already said should be more like the Sergio Perez that we've known over the years so no it's a good day for him all things considered I think he'd have took a P5 if he was offered it for his first race of Red Bull and it won't get better from there um McLaren moving on to McLaren now after qualifying I think McLaren might have been a little bit worried given that Charles Leclerc and Pierre Gasly and Ferrari and AlphaTauri respectively were able to pit them in qualifying. As I said, it was an incredibly close session. So as we alluded to in preseason testing, a tenth for here or there would be the difference between qualifying fifth and qualifying 13th. It was that tight. And as we saw from Perez, it certainly was that tight. But overall, Nando Norris, great performance from him. I think we've said over the winter break that Lando was going to have to step up, you know, as good as he's been. There is that expectation now to be more of a team leader, a more mature, all-round experienced driver. In his third year of Formula One, his talent shone through today. Had a great battle with Charles Leclerc early on, managed to get ahead of Leclerc and was quite comfortable for the rest of the race. He wasn't under pressure from really anybody and built up enough of a gap to keep Sergio Perez at bay towards the end to get a solid P4. So for me, despite... The fact that he's got a podium in P3, I would probably argue and say that was probably Lando's best performance I've seen him put in in Formula One when you consider the whole picture. Yeah, I was going to ask you, actually, you know, I wonder if he's happy about this performance or McLaren happy about this performance than they were the podium. Yes, they finished a, a step lower, but they won, they won this fourth place. So I reckon, obviously, if Perez was up there, they probably would have finished fifth. But they are there on pure pace, you know, whereas with that podium in Austria, they kind of benefited from a chaotic final stint to that race. So I think, you know, we had a lot of optimism about McLaren and they are in and around the area that I fully expected them to be. I, you know what? Ferrari were a lot closer during the race than I thought they'd be. So I think putting all that together, I think McLaren should be very happy if they had done this evening. Mm, their race pace was very, very strong. And as a Ferrari fan, from what I experienced last year, something I worried about this year was that Ferrari's one lap pace would supersede their race pace and that there could be a fear that they may fall down the pecking order. It didn't really transpire that way. Although from what we saw in the McLaren does look altogether a better package in race trim today on a track like Bahrain. But then, of course, it is a power sensitive circuit, a real limited circuit as well. Two strengths that McLaren probably have over Ferrari with the new Mercedes engine. So it, it could be from circuit to circuit, we'll see hallmarks of different cars really come into the fore over others. And this midfield battle is looking very, very tasty. And we'll talk about some of the other teams as well. Um, but Ricardo, P7 today. Not a bad drive from him. Wasn't really able to keep up with Norris and, of course, Charles Leclerc as well. But I don't think you can really knock him too much for it today. I think he had a very good debut for McLaren. And, of course, with Daniel Ricciardo, he hasn't had a lot of time in that car in the same way that uh, Carlos Sainz, Sebastian Vettel, Fernando Alonso in their respective cars as well have had. So I would say probably a pretty decent result for him. We'd be fairly happy. I'm sure it goes without saying that we're expecting Daniel's performances to improve relative to his teammate as the season progresses on. 
I've got to say, though, at the very start of the race, I saw a different side to Norris. And, you know, one of my concerns about Lando is that he comes across as too friendly, you know, when it comes to, you know, waving to certain drivers, you know, in practice sessions. Mm. Um, when it comes to defending and overtaking, he seems to be a little bit too um, friendly to his rivals. But at the start of the race, uh, you know, it wasn't really noticed at the forefront of the commentary. But I noticed that he got he got a little bit, you know, he got he got his shoulders out against Daniel. You know, he probably thought, mm. you know what, I've been at this team before you come along. You know, he, he stood his he stood his ground because the Lando of old was just letting through, going, oh yeah, good old Daniel. You know, you go you go and get the uh, the the bigger half points, and we're going to have a laugh. Um, once we get the car, but no, he didn't. But you know, you know what? I'm faster than you at this point in the race, and I'm going to stay ahead of you. So you know, good for him. And I think this needs to be the season. It could well be what people actually realise how talented Lando Norris is. He isn't just he isn't just a guy that streams. He's a very fast driver, and it's about time that people people know that. Mm. Absolutely. And it's good to see. Hopefully Lando can continue on that trajectory um, and be more businesslike. Today was definitely one of those days where we saw Lando in that vicinity with his qualities and he drove a very good race. And sometimes when you don't often talk about a driver that's doing well in a race and there's not much to say on that usually means that they're doing all the right things. So that's always a good sign. And hopefully that will continue. I think McLaren will be very very happy definitely the best possible start i think they could have imagined realistically speaking in order to defend that third place crown um let's go to ferrari so, uh, charles leclerc sixth place carlos Sainz eighth i think whilst there was the expectation that ferrari were going to climb to the top of the midfield by some margin i think realistically after testing and what we saw from them ferrari definitely were holding back more than we expected if you were a Ferrari fan, Courtney, or someone there, and given what we've seen from testing, if someone offered you sixth and eighth in the first race with your best rivals, McLaren, the only team to really beat you today, would you have been happy with that? I think given the situation we're in with the big regulation changes next season, I think Ferrari fans should be willing to take you know the hit for this season in order for them to be up there. Because, you know, as we've already said, with Mercedes and Red Bull competing the way they are, Ferrari could be the team. They they could be the brawn of next season. They could be the team that have the time to invest in next season and find loopholes in the regulations that other teams haven't had time to think of. So, in a strange way, this could this this average season could be putting Ferrari in a very good position for next season. Well, I think what we've learned from today, if the trend continues for the rest of the season, is that. Other than Haas, there's not, or maybe Williams to a degree as well, there's not really going to be one team in that midfield or even at the front that's going to be able to down tools on 2021 cars and focus purely on 2022. Ferrari, McLaren, Tauri, uh, Aston Martin, Alpine as well, they're all probably going to have to develop their cars to a degree or risk missing out on an opportunity for finishing on the top three or four in the constructors this season because it's so tight in the midfield. Um, by the looks of it, especially between McLaren, Ferrari and AlphaTauri, respectively. Ferrari in general, as I said, they would have preferred to have been a bit better. They may be stronger at other circuits. As I said, this is a circuit that's very much sensitive to power cars and McLaren have got that in the back of their car now with the Mercedes engine. Still, in my opinion, the best power unit there, despite Honda's obvious improvements, the Mercedes engine still looks pretty impressive. Um so it could be a case where Ferrari will be a lot stronger at other circuits, which will suit them better. But it's certainly a good sign. Leclerc, incredible qualifying performance, as he did last season at Sakir. 
finishing, uh, qualifying fourth. Incredible lap from him. Um, Carlos Sainz, you know, good race from him today. He did get a bit bogged down behind the likes of Stroll and Alonso um, earlier in the race, but he managed to recover and finish in P8. I think he would have been pretty happy with that, considering that's also where he qualified. So, you know, like Ricardo, I'm expecting Sainz to really um, close up to Leclerc's ultimate pace as he gets more used to the car. And interestingly enough, Courtney, um, despite the man having his uh, alcohol sponsors, got a lot more TV time than he often did in McLaren. There was that age-old issue with uh, F1 being sponsored by Heineken, whilst other beers are available. Um, Science is sponsored by a Spanish beer company and on his helmet. And of course, F1 TV don't really like giving him much airtime because they don't want to give a rival beer company exposure in contrast to their main ones. So that was nice to see. And Science pulled off quite a few good overtakes today. Yeah, well, I think driving for Ferrari does help. Let's not forget that they are still mm. the most supported team. So I think I, 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 I bet he's, um, I bet those sponsors were thrilled when they found out he's joining Ferrari because they knew they'd be getting more airtime. Probably a big bargaining chip for Ferrari in, yeah. instead of trying to get Ricardo in. It's just extra money in the kitty, which of course they can only use so much. But as the multi-million dollar car company, it's always good to find more revenue streams from anywhere you can within reason. Um, let's move on to Alpha Tauri. Overall, they did get points, got ninth place for Yuki Tsunoda. But given the pace that that car clearly has shown, and they were the, it was incredible watching them in qualifying, how quick they were, especially Yuki to some degree. Um, and Gasly, of course, qualifying sixth behind Norris and Leclerc. I think it's fair to say Alpha Terra will be a bit disappointed that they weren't able to capitalize on some otherwise very strong looking pace from their car today. Yeah, I think the, the incident with Gasly and you know, you know the gremlins that they had as well probably ruined their weekend. Because if you're a midfield team, I think when you go into the first race, you don't want any dramas and you probably want a double points finish. I think if you're a midfield team, that's what you're probably looking for. And they were close to getting that. I feel I think they should be very encouraged by Yuki Tsunoda, though. He seems like a Nick, Nick well, definitely a very exciting driver going forward. Oh, absolutely. And he had a terrible start you know he got caught out early on in all of the chaos that was happening but he recovered and he drove beautifully well and I'm really excited about Yuki Tsunoda I've sung his praises already a lot of people have this kid is special and I love the way he drives there's a certain methodical approach very precise it's, it's characteristics you associate and attribute to the Japanese they really are brilliant in their precision and I really like that a lot about Yuki Tsunoda and I love the character that we're seeing from him as well you know it's genuine it's excitement enthusiasm it's a breath of fresh air in Formula One in a generation that has shown a lot of that but it's certainly one that can be admired and I reckon we're going to be seeing a lot more of him this season Gasly by contrast had a dismal race he got caught out uh, losing his front wing on the first lap hitting Norris as we've already mentioned and it really ruined his race today so AlphaTauri know they've got a good car they're definitely in the fight with McLaren and Ferrari in particular in that midfield where they fit in in the pecking order is hard to say I would say probably overall just a bit behind McLaren and maybe a bit ahead of Ferrari but it's so tight it's literally a tenth here or there they were that close so you know it's going to be a good battle for us to enjoy with those three teams in particular um, Aston Martin I think the good news for Aston Martin is that that car is decent you know it's yeah. quicker than I think a lot of people probably gave credit for but there's still some to find in that perfor uh, some performance they still got to find in that car compared to the other three teams we just mentioned Lance Stroll 10th place in qualifying 10th place in the race 
probably as good as they probably could have hoped for around there. They managed to beat Alpine, which I suppose is something today. Um, what did you make of Lance Stroll's race today? He was definitely in the mix at times, but probably had to settle for 10th. Would you be happy with that if you were him today? Um, given the, the problems I had in testing, I think, yeah, they're probably happy that they're performing better than I originally thought. Um, I think they could, they'll be happy to take a point from that, you know, given where they expected to be. I just think the probably disappointing side is Sebastian Vettel, but as I've already said, let's just hope it's a one-off because, you know, you want to be seeing the best drivers, you know, up there competing with each other. I don't, I don't want to be seeing, you know, really have like exciting bat- battles like between the Kler, Norris, Ricardo, um, Sonoda, etc. Mm. You want to be seeing, you want to, you want to be seeing Vettel up there. You don't want to be seeing Vettel tangling at the very back. So let's hope that, you know, in the circuits to come, we'll be seeing Sebastian Vettel up there with the others. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I couldn't agree more. Um, but uh, with Sebastian Vettel, we'll, we'll touch on this briefly. A guy that has had such few running, very few running laps available to him in testing, practice, wasn't quite comfortable qualifying. Uh, the, the weekend itself was not really a good one for Seb. It was a weekend that had some good moments. Of course, he had a really good battle with Fernando Alonso and Carlos Sainz, which was quite fun to watch, and Kimi Raikkonen. Um, 14 World Championships on the grid this season and half of those were in that battle between those three guys and um it was an interesting moment because i remember watching the race and you had signs leading alonso leading vessel leading raikkonen and i thought to myself right there you've got the last four ferrari drivers with the exclusion of leclerc all in one shot and it's amazing to think that how in eight years or six years i suppose you've got four of the last Ferrari drivers in that shot. It's quite a weird shot to have, but um, it just shows how quick time can fly in Formula One, how things can change so quickly when you had that. And yet three of those guys have won seven world championships between them. But for Seb, it was a weekend that could have gone a lot, lot better. Not much more worse could have gone for him. Um, But, you know, qualifying got caught out with a Mazepin incident. Then, of course, he got the penalty for not really following the double wave yellows as well as he probably should have done. Ended up getting sent to the very back of the grid and it was a difficult race for him. As I said, had some good moments and perhaps he will find more comfort in this car as time goes on. He definitely looked like he had pace. That's one thing I think we can agree that he wasn't struggling in the car like he was in the Ferrari. But that incident with Ocon, where he made that mistake and ended up driving to the back of him and getting a penalty as a result, um, will be one of those moments you'll probably hope to see less of as this season goes on for Seb. So Aston Martin work to do, but I think given the way that testing went for them, if someone offered them a point, they'd have probably took that um, a po- with a plum, uh, especially given some of their rivals, what they've had to deal with. Alpine, um, a strange race for them. I expected them to be the back of the midfield with only the likes of Williams, Alfa Romeo and Haas with them. And Esteban Ocon struggled today, in 13th never really looked like he had the pace uh, and it come from Fernando Alonso really which was amazing because Fernando Alonso loves Bahrain he's the only driver before Lewis Hamilton today to have won the opening race of the season when it's been at Bahrain in 2006 and 2010 respectively but qualifying was good for Alonso got into the top 10 and for a lot of the race, he was pretty much in that fight in the midfield with the likes of Sainz, Ricardo, Norris, Leclerc, and um, a Stroll as well. Well, the concern for, you know, when it comes to Alonso was that he was going to be rusty after being away from a couple of seasons. And to be honest, 
you know, when I heard him on the team radio and I saw like how he's performing, it was like he's never been gone. Mm. So that's encouraging. You know, as fans, again, you want to be seeing Alonso against Vettel, or Alonso against Leclerc, Alonso against Sainz, you know, you, and, and Ricardo. You want to be seeing that. And the performance that you put him today, why not? I, I think it's possible. I think I think this midfield, I think some of these midfield battles are going to be fantastic. I think I really do believe this season is going to be exciting from top to bottom. You know, mate, I really do. Hmm. I mean, it, it didn't look as quick as the other four cars. Ultimately, perhaps Aston Martin the exception. Um, I mean, Alonso had issues with the rear brake ducts. Obviously, they failed, and that's why he had to retire late on. Although it didn't look like he was going to get any points in that race, maybe tenth at the best, but. Alpine, if I could pick one team in that midfield that probably could prioritise 2022, it's probably them. And given that Alonso's in the sport until the end of 2022 and he'll assess his options before he decides to continue or not, whether Alpine want him to continue, it seems very likely already that he's going to be leading the line for them with Ocon struggling today. Um, Where would your thoughts be with Alpine, do you feel that perhaps they should focus on 2022, take the pain this year as they're probably expected to do, and then come back with a potentially championship winning car next year? Or do you feel that they could probably fight to improve in the midfield? No, I think they should pull it into next season because I think they're too far behind the likes of, you know, McLaren in particular to really make a big impression in this season. So I think you're right, mate. I think they should definitely be looking on to next season. And I think that's where Fernando Alonso's mind is at anyway. Oh, yeah, it already is. I mean, a guy yeah. his age, you know, you can throw all the statistics and everything else at him about racing. I think there was a good one that we saw this weekend where Fernando Alonso has raced against Max Verstappen, Mick Schumacher, Michael Schumacher, and Jos, the boss, Verstappen as well. Certainly not one to remind him of when you are in, in your early 40s. But um, yeah, Fernando, obviously, I don't know how long he's going to be in the sport for. He doesn't feel he's going to be in it for a long time. So perhaps with 2022 being the priority and the target, I mean, he's not here to compete for 10th. He's here to win races and championships. That's what he wants. And he's shown some hallmarks to show that the Fernando of old or the Fernando Alonso that we knew in 2012 when he was arguably at his peak for Ferrari um, is still very much at 95% at least of his full ability, which is what he claims himself. So that's always good to hear from Fernando. He certainly showed he's still got some speed in him. Um, we'll talk briefly about Alfa Romeo. Raikkonen had a few moments battling away with the likes of Alonso Vettel and Sainz at the back, but ultimately come up short in the points, 11th and 12th. It shows that Alfa Romeo, that car does look like a step forward on where it was last season. But as we predicted, they were running quite a higher power output than some of the other teams and running quite light as well in testing as they usually are one of the teams that run lighter than everyone else. But 11th and 12th, it's a good sign for the first race. It just shows that when some of the guys in front will trip up over themselves, they're going to be the first team to capitalise on that. So I think they'll be relatively happy with that. And perhaps other days they will score points as they did last season. I look at Alfa Romeo and I look at Williams and I think they're going to be the two teams that are going to sort of be in the background. I think they're both going to have very quiet seasons. Mm. I think Haas are going to be sort of in the limelight, but for the wrong reasons. But I look at Alfa Romeo and I think, yeah, they're going to, you're not going to really see much of them this season. And I think Antonio Giovinazzi, regardless of how well he does, I think he's going to be one of possibly two drivers that need to be looking over his shoulder when it comes to younger drivers wanting any seat. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's some other drivers, you know, none of the Ferrari drivers in the academy in F2 this weekend really 
did anything that screamed out to mm. me to say that these guys look really good. Robert Schwartzman didn't have the greatest of weekends. And the same could be said for Marcus Armstrong as well. Um, Callum Mylot, of course, will have to follow his progress in touring cars abroad for Ferrari and perhaps involved in the Le Mans series as well if Ferrari are invested this season in their hypercar project. We'll have to wait and see how that transpires. But um, yeah, Giovinazzi just has to get his head down. And it was a good performance from him today. Not a lot could be said on it. Um, He was the last car to be lapped. You know, Kimi managed to stay on the lead lap just about. Um, He wouldn't have wanted to get involved in that battle between Max and Lewis, that's for sure. But um, yeah, so Alpha, they'll definitely be involved in the points a lot more this season, I think, than they were last season, which is a good thing for them. We'll come to Williams finally, as we've already talked about Huss brief. There wasn't a lot to say on Huss. They're going to be comfortably at the back of the field. So with Williams, we've already talked about the concept of their car being very peaky and downforce and not very robust. So they're going to have weekends where the car is good and they're going to have weekends where the car not so much. Given the windy and difficult conditions we saw today, which was talked about early on, but we never really saw too much of over the course of the race, Williams will probably write this one down as one of the more difficult weekends, but 14th and 15th, uh, sorry, not 14th, 15th, uh, 14th for George Russell, who again had a brilliant qualifying session getting into Q2 in that Williams, which I don't think people expected, but he managed to do. Um, I'd say not a bad day for George Russell, probably the best he probably could have hoped for. Yeah, you know, in that sense, you're right, but I reckon we're going to start seeing a frustrated George Russell this season. You know, he's he's been there for over a season. Now. He probably deep down probably wanted a bit more of a performance, you know, upgrade. Um, and I, you know, you imagine, you know, we know how good he is, but this just if you just think from his perspective as a human being, you know, he's seeing his main rival in F2 who he beat, probably be in a position where he could be uh, competing for podiums in Lando Norris. And he probably feels that he's more than worthy to be in that Mercedes seat. And I just said that if if he's in a position to get points often, I think we're going to be seeing a frustrated George Russell and I think we're going to be seeing him push for that seat on Mercedes or he might ask to leave. I just think this season's a massive one for George Russell's career. Hmm. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And um, it is something that's worth talking about. I think as the season goes on, we're going to see more and more of that potential frustration uh, coming through in George. Um, he's been very relaxed about it, but I'm pretty sure he probably feels he's done enough to secure a seat at Mercedes. And a lot of people probably agree with that. There was a moment in the race where Lewis Hamilton had lapped George Russell quite late on. And I kind of took that as one of those situations where George will probably be a bit frustrated seeing that Mercedes drive away from him, considering that only about four or five months ago, he was driving around that very circuit, winning a Grand Prix um, in that car to a degree. Um, Obviously it didn't work out for him, but yeah, it's something that's going to become more apparent over the course of the season. And there is still that expectation that George will be in that car sooner rather than later. Will it be next year? We'll have to wait and see. Of course, there've been rumors flying around the paddock that potentially Max Verstappen, could be in that car with George Russell next season, according to Zach Brown, no less the boss at McLaren. And given off the result we saw today and how Red Bull perhaps dealt with that, it hasn't really gone. It's not really one of those situations that's gone in their favour to convince Max to stay if that opportunity does present himself, whereas Mercedes have done a brilliant job today. But I think we've pretty much covered everybody now. I think it's probably a good time to wrap this up, Corny. Thank you so much, of course, once again for joining me on this podcast episode. Oh, I love doing it. And, you know, I look forward to the next one. Absolutely. And uh, all that's left to say, guys, if you liked the video, please 
do like it share with everyone you know as i said guys we're pleading with you to help us out because at the moment youtube promotions aren't really favoring some of these longer podcast episodes they are kind of favoring short one two minute videos which not much we can do and we certainly couldn't do a podcast in two minutes that's for sure i mean we could try but it wouldn't be very insightful at all and i'm pretty sure you'd agree it's not as good as the ones that we are currently doing at the moment but in the meantime of course make sure to subscribe to the channel as well if you haven't already there's still quite a lot of you that tune into this and that haven't subscribed now of course absolutely fine to do so or not not a problem but we would absolutely love it and appreciate it if you could help us out and subscribe to the channel and share of course with anyone that you know that would enjoy getting involved in the discussion and that's another thing get involved in the discussion guys let us know about your thoughts on the race do you feel that max verstappen should have won today or red bull could have done a better job how did you rate the performance of Lewis Hamilton? And of course, let, let me know about some of the other standout performances that you noticed in today's race. With the season now finally underway, first race in the bag, 22 more to go, hopefully a few weeks away from the next race in Imola. It seems that the season has now already planted the first seeds of the battle that could shape up to be legendary. Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton 2021. Who are you backing for the season? First blood to Lewis Hamilton, the champ, the goat, the seven-time king. Will he make it eight times? We'll have to wait and see. But until then... All that's left to say is thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.